The information in today's episode is not to be used as medical advice. If you are currently struggling with or dealing with something out of the ordinary, we highly recommend talking directly to your provider. Welcome to the Flow State Podcast, where we're all about finding balance. We're your hosts, Monica Groney and Nora Candido. Now let's get into the flow. Welcome back, everyone. We have a fun and an exciting guest today. We have Dr. Priya, who is a naturopathic doctor. She specializes in women's health, and she's also an amazing advisor for Maria. So we are so grateful that she's here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. We are excited to have you here. I just want to dive in and have you share like how you got into this line of work, naturopathic doctor. What's your overarching mission? How you got into women's health? Can you share a little bit about that with us? Of course. I love this question. So I really, really struggled with my own health. Most of my teenagers into early 20s. I think my story matches so many women's in terms of when I got my menstrual cycle, it was very irregular. It would happen twice a month. It would skip a month. There was no rhythm to it. And it was always really, really painful. So teenage years, I really struggled with that. That was my main concern. And eventually I ended up going on birth control because at around 17, 18, you know, I'd given my body the years it needed and things weren't regulating. So when I went into my doctor, she had basically just told me birth control is the only option. Just here you go. So I took it. I'm young. I don't know what I'm doing. Like everyone else is taking it. So I took it, go to college, and I really wasn't, as a naturopathic doctor now, I feel like people think I probably have this whole life story of being super healthy and crunchy all my life, but I was very unhealthy in college. Like my idea of health was a Diet Coke and like a Caesar salad because I wanted to stay under certain amount of calories. Like I equated um, health with being thin, just like many women probably do because of what we hear in social media and all that. But A lot of just bad habits, being in college, going out, staying out late, like studying and like not sleeping, drinking tons of coffee, all of that eventually led to my health completely tanking when I was around 21 or 22. So my periods got worse. I was diagnosed with PCOS. I was always bloated. I had really bad anxiety and panic attacks. Like it was just one thing after another. So at that point, I'd studied biology and I wanted to go to pharmacy school, but it When I got out of college, I knew I needed to take a gap here because my health was in shambles. My anxiety was really my biggest concern because I couldn't go a single day without having an anxiety attack. So I was like, I just need some time to really figure things out. So I worked at a pharmacy at the time and I took the PCAT and everything. And I was completely on this trajectory of going to pharmacy school. But at the same time, I was going to my own doctors trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And I wasn't getting any answers other than take fiber pills, take Xanax and go back on birth control. So that led me to doing my own research, which a lot of people also do. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit, but it really did help me in that fact that I learned, okay, nutrition really matters. Let me focus on things that are in my control. So let me work out more. Let me actually feed my body instead of starving it. And let me just try to like drink some more herbal teas and just figure something out. And a lot of those things actually worked for me, which led me to start researching natural medicine, came across naturopathic medicine. And then 
I just knew in my heart that that's what I wanted to do. It just felt so much more aligned with what I had experienced. And I was sure if I had experienced it, so many other people had as well. So that's kind of the story. My elevator pitch. (laughs) I can relate to a lot of that. (laughs) I think, like you said, a lot of individuals have their own experience and that really dictates or sways them one direction or another. But I'm even personally curious, like, what is the difference or what made you choose to go down more of the naturopathic route versus the traditional Western medicine path? I think it was honestly just the experiences I was having with my own doctor. She was really kind. She was wonderful. But I felt like I was getting pushed back and forth between specialists, between my doctor. There was just no answers really. It was more of everything looks good on these labs, but you can try these medications. And it just didn't feel right at 21, 22 being like, oh, I'm on these this list of four different types of medications because I'm bloated and I have anxiety. And it just something didn't click there. So that's really what made me want to explore another path and look into what type of practitioner do I need to be to look at someone in a more holistic view because No one's talking to me about my diet. No one's telling me anything about nutrients. No one's really going down the route of like, okay, what is your stress revolving around? Are you sleeping? Are you exercising? Like no one asked me any of those questions. It was more of these labs look good. Just try this instead and maybe it'll work. Hi there. It's your host, Monica. If we haven't met before... Highly recommend you go back to season one and listen to the episode where I share my PMDD story. One of the reasons that I'm interrupting the episode right now is that I wanted to share a little bit about Mireya. Mireya is the menstrual wellness brand that I founded after finding out that I had PMDD and was struggling. I wanted to find a holistic, root cause solution to help me feel better and nutritional supplementation gave me the foundation to heal. That's why I developed the PMS Elixir with our amazing team of medical advisors. The PMS Elixir is a drinkable multivitamin that truly provides the essential vitamins and minerals needed to provide you that foundational level of nutrition and give you a base to heal from. Our medical team has hand-selected the nutrients, their forms, their quantities, so that this multivitamin is not only delicious, but is also providing you a therapeutic-grade dose of the exact nutrients you need. If you are interested in trying the PMS Elixir, head to the website www.mareawellness.com and use the code FLOWPOD, F-L-O-W-P-O-D, for 15% off your first month. Truly, these nutrients were a game changer for me, and they are now supporting thousands of women, allowing them to have healthier and happier periods. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, it's so interesting because like all three of us are here from a very similar place, right? Of like, we had bad experiences, we weren't getting the support we needed, and we knew other people were experiencing the same thing. 
And I think it's all led us to different places, which is so interesting, but it's also led us to each other because as a unit, we're like, we're on the same mission. Like, let's all support each other. And I think for me, it's been so interesting to learn, like Nora and I have talked on the podcast about there are so many different titles of people that can help us today. There's coaches, there's nutritionists, there's dietitians, naturopathic doctors, herbalists, traditional medicine doctors. Like what can you just maybe explain naturopathic medicine, like being a naturopathic doctor and how that differs from some of these other titles? Yes, definitely. So with a naturopathic degree and being a naturopathic doctor, you have to attend a four-year accredited school. So there's a handful of them in the U.S. I attended Bastyr, which has a school up in Kenmore and then a sister school down in San Diego. I went to the San Diego one, but it's a four-year program. So the first two years are dedicated towards your clinical sciences. We're going into anatomy. We're learning about pathology. We're doing biochemistry, just all those foundational layers. After those two years, we take a licensing exam to check off, okay, we have proficient knowledge in that area. And then the final two years is really centered around pharmaceutical training, herbal training, different types of modalities, how to work with certain conditions. And we really go into the clinic at that point and we do something around like over 4,000 clinical hours, I think. And that includes the clinic hours we have at school along with hours outside doing preceptorships. So it is a pretty intensive path. But then at the end of those four years, you take your final licensing exam. And if you pass, then you can apply to get your license in the state that you're in. So in California, I'm licensed. The verbiage is naturopathic doctor here. Different states have different ways that they refer to naturopathic doctors. I think in Arizona, it's like naturopathic medical doctor. So there's a little bit of variance across the states, depending on the licensing. But at the very core of it, you do have to go through the four years of the higher education along with the licensing exams. Yeah, super interesting. I mean, like, there's just and so like, when you work with patients, it's different than someone just going to traditional medicine doctor in that like, you are doing more, like you said, deep dives, kind of nutrition angle, you're looking at exercise, like, what does that look like? So all of the things that you said, focusing first on the foundations of health. So I really assess people's nutrition, their sleep, their stress levels, how they're managing everything, if they're moving their body, what their day-to-day looks like. So when you work with a naturopathic doctor, you're really working on lifestyle medicine. So it's a matter of how can you set up your day-to-day to benefit you the most for long-term health. But then on top of that, There are certain types of imbalances that I'll work with and I'll see. And in those cases, we'll use really targeted supplements and herbs that will help undo those imbalances. But the goal is never to have you like on a laundry list of supplements where you're like, okay, instead of taking these five pharmaceuticals, you're not going to take these 15 supplements for the rest of your life. It's really a matter of let's get things moving in the right direction with your body. But at the same time, we're working on those foundations so that eventually your body's good on its own and you're taking the bare minimum of whatever is appropriate for you in your case. I feel like I do the same job just with a different title. <laughs> it's fun to hear like the similarities. And I think that was one thing that we were going to discuss a little bit too is in my program, we're taught that technically dietitians are the only ones that can prescribe medical nutrition therapy and we're the only ones legally allowed to give meal plans. So I'm curious, like from a nutrition standpoint, what does that look like in terms for you guys? Yeah. So like you said, I don't do any meal plans. I don't think it's in the scope of practice for naturopathic medicine either, but 
I'm sure there's variances with who you speak to, but I do one of two things. One, if I feel like someone's really struggling with their nutrition and they have just no idea what to do, then I do encourage them to work with a dietitian or nutritionist that can give them that hands-on, okay, this is what you should eat, this is what you should do. But for most of my patients, what I do is I look at what they're working through and I give them suggestions on foods to add in. So that's the area that I work in. I never really tell people to take out a whole bunch of stuff or like go on this strict diet. I always say, oh, you're struggling with X, Y, and Z. It might be beneficial to add in these types of fruits or these types of vegetables, or let's get you in some bone broth while we're working on this gut healing. Like those types of suggestions, which I find are easier for patients. And then usually once they get down the route of, oh, I started adding in these foods and I feel really good, naturally they on their own start eating healthier too. I appreciate and share same lens, same approach. And I'm really grateful to hear that. Just a reminder to anyone, like anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, but only registered dietitians are the ones that are certified and licensed and have a medical license, just as a brief reminder. (laughs) Yeah. I see a lot of like TikTok nutritionists doing all sorts of crazy things. And I'm like, oh, I hope no one's actually listening to this. (laughs) But people are. Even people that don't claim to be a nutritionist or you are thin and you have a workout plan or, you know, they're selling things just because they look a certain way. And that's typically coming from a privilege of maybe their genetics or they have access to different resources. It's not inherent to what they're eating or how they're moving their bodies or doing things necessarily different. And yeah, it is like, it's alarming and definitely being in the social media world and the whole other conversation that we don't need to have today. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of information out there. And I always love like, so often we'll hear from our community or people questioning things. And I always applaud people when they have their like wall up a little bit of what information they should be consuming. I'm like, you're being an informed consumer of information. And I like, I just want to say like, congrats. Like, I'm so happy to see that because I think it's so important. There's so much information and it's everywhere, even in studies, you know, there's always a contradictory study to something and there's always something to push back. And it's just like, okay, let's figure out what works for us and our bodies. But I'm curious to hear as well, like you obviously are working very directly with women's health. And so you're focusing a lot. I mean, women's health is reproductive health, it's hormones, it's all the things that we talk about here. But what are some of the most common issues your patients are coming to you with and like most common complaints? The top ones that I usually get are a combination of some sort of issues with the cycle, whether it's painful periods or a lot of mood changes before their period delayed ovulation, irregular cycles. So all sorts of issues around there. And I found that symptoms really fluctuate too for a lot of my patients. And I get a lot of bloating and constipation along with a lot of acne, all of which go very much hand in hand. So typically when someone comes to me and on their form, they wrote, I struggle with bloating. Once I start asking them questions, it's like everything else is also ticked off off the list. It's never just that one complaint. Yeah, always the big complaint, but like behind that is a hundred others or a hundred other issues that you see. Can you maybe just take us through? Because like I really want our listeners today to understand what it would be like to work with a naturopath and what this experience is going to be. So like you maybe just take us through when someone comes to you and they're like, my periods are messed up. I'm irregular. I don't know if I'm ovulating. Where would you start with someone? 
So based off the individual, nine times out of 10, we start with labs. So sometimes people have blood work that they've already had completed. They'll bring it to me. Sometimes I'll have to run comprehensive blood work. The thyroid in particular, I almost always want to get an idea of what's going on with someone's thyroid because it is so prevalent in women. So that's one of the major labs I run. And then I usually start with stool testing too. I found working first in the area of supporting the thyroid, the gut, the liver, and stress levels, along with all those foundations we talked about, is the best way to sometimes approach hormonal issues. So sometimes someone will come to me and they'll say, I have really painful periods. And what I tell them is we can work with some anti-inflammatories to take the edge off, but let's look at what's underneath what's going on. So first steps are usually let's get a really comprehensive intake and then let's run the appropriate labs. And then from there, we build out protocols depending on what their unique imbalance is, working through those. Sometimes we still might have to do some hormone testing down the road if all their issues aren't squared away. A lot of times the hormones work themselves out once we tackle those bigger areas that I spoke about. You talked a little bit about thyroid, and I'm just kind of curious, like, what is the bigger role of the thyroid when it comes to these problems? And like, are there specific tests that you do for thyroid or is that just the traditional labs? Is that stool testing? Like what can you kind of dive into that a little bit? Yeah, your thyroid produces a lot of major hormones in your body. You can think of your TSH, T3, T4. So what your thyroid does is it basically sets your body's thermostat. You can think of it, sets your metabolic rate. So it's really important for a lot of essential functions in terms of mood regulation, how you're moving your bowels. It plays a role in circulation too. It plays a role in your hair quality, your nail quality, and it does impact your period as well. And so a lot of women I've seen have thyroid issues. I think statistically, I wish I could remember this right off the top. It's like right here. I don't know if it's 60% or higher, but it's something within those higher percentage range of women who will develop some sort of thyroid issue. And the most common one ends up being an underactive thyroid, sometimes caused by the autoimmune condition Hashimoto's. So knowing all this information, I always test for the thyroid. And that does include looking at how your brain's communicating with the thyroid itself through TSH, your actual thyroid hormone production, which is your T3 and T4 levels, and then always running antibody testing too, like anti-TPO, anti-TG, just to see if there is some sort of autoimmune condition. Yeah, I also impact like sleep. And for a lot of people, when you speak to metabolism too, they might notice weight changes that are altering. When you say going to the bathroom, it really impacts like our motility, how long things spend in our system. And that can go on either end of the spectrum of moving too quickly or not moving through quickly enough, which can impact hormones in both directions. If it's moving too quickly, you might not be absorbing the nutrition if things are moving too slowly that can really mess with our body's own internal regulation of getting rid of those excess hormones and natural processes as well but yeah there's so many things skin like you were saying yeah hair a lot thyroid literally impacts i feel like it has a hand in almost everything (laughs) it absolutely does it's one i call it one of the master hormones if you like look at how your hormones interact with one another, like thyroid hormones are right up there along with insulin and cortisol. Like those are really playing a huge role on the entire body. Yeah. I think, you know, I hear thyroid so much and it's just interesting to dive a little bit deeper and kind of hear how it really is affecting people. When, once you do labs with people, your next step is obviously to review them and make like a customized plan. Are those things usually like lifestyle, you said supplements, herbs, like what role does all of that kind of play? 
Are you changing things slowly, one thing at a time? I try to keep supplements to whatever a patient's budget is. So that part is very customizable in that term. I have different ranges that I work with with patients. And then the lifestyle is the part that's a little bit more slower moving because that's the part where a lot of people meet resistance. I have some patients that are like, I will change everything. I'm so committed. I can do it. And they actually do it. And then I have a lot of people, very reasonably so, where they need those smaller changes because it is hard to wake up and be like, I'm going to change every single thing about what I'm doing. It's just not sustainable. So supplements, I like to tell my patients, they undo imbalances, they take the edge off, but let's like really work on what are those healthy habits for you. And they're so individual for each person and how it works and what feels good for their body. So That's the slower end of the things. And then the supplements, I like to call them the heavy hitting, but it's not, if you've worked with natural medicine, you know, it's not that heavy hitting either. It's not like taking a pharmaceutical by any means, but the herbs in particular, you want to be super mindful of. A lot of the nutritional based supplements like magnesium, B vitamins are a little bit safer to throw in. I'm even curious to hear like from a lifestyle standpoint for somebody that might show like an underactive thyroid, what would you say is like your number one tip or recommendation for somebody presenting that way that's not, not that you have to spill all of your beans here? Yeah, I have two that I want to share. The first one is make sure you're getting your minerals in. A lot of people are deficient in their minerals. So I know water drinking sometimes can be difficult for some people, add your mineral drops in, but I really like to work with mineral rich herbs like hibiscus, nettle, just creating little different types of hydration that can help fuel that mineral status in your body because your thyroid relies on so many different nutrients and minerals. And if one or two of them is out of whack, you're not getting enough, it can't impact it. And then rebuilding your metabolism. Like I know so many people that will just power through the day, just drinking coffee and that's wrecking your body. So really slowly rebuilding the appetite, getting in good amounts of protein, fibers, healthy fats, and just working towards having a more stable daily diet. Love those. Yeah, those are such crucial. Like, I mean, minerals in our body are depleted by stress. And like today's world is just freaking stressful. Like we all have these crazy schedules and we're constantly being like bombarded with information from social media and the internet and stress is a constant. And I feel like the more and more that this is happening, the more depleted we're getting. And it's cool to see I feel like, and maybe it's just because I'm in the like wellness sphere so much, but more conversation around minerals and even changing some thought process around like salt and sodium and our need for that. I still get it all the time when I share, like, I love elements drink packets and there's sodium in them. And people are like, oh, like that's really high in sodium. Like, isn't it bad to consume too much salt? And it like, there's just so many misconceptions that are happening. That's like huge one that I actively trying to debunk for so many people and people who feel like they're so sensitive. We also need iodine, which is found in salt in order for our thyroid to function. So you can have normal appearing labs, but if you don't have enough iodine, it's not going to be working effectively. So if you're removing all sodium from your diet, you're not getting iodine typically in the amounts that your body needs in order for your thyroid to even work. 
So this is a huge one that I start with, especially if you're eating a lot of whole, unprocessed foods, things that are not coming in packages, there's no natural sodium content. So when I add electrolytes in for people, they notice a world of a difference where they might feel like they have been trying to hydrate for so long and nothing sticks. And when they go to the bathroom, their urine is clear and it's like you are almost overhydrated, And that's because you might not have enough sodium or other electrolytes to actually retain and use the water that you're consuming. And this makes such a big difference for people in terms of just energy levels. And yeah, it's going to support your thyroid. It's going to have so, so many benefits. And all of those recommendations are built off of like poorly designed studies, things that have not been recreated in a really long time. Like there's not sufficient evidence showing that we should be on a low salt diet. Like if you study even some Korean cultures or France or a lot of other places in the world, their sodium intake is like 12 grams. And we're recommending 1.5 grams to 2 grams per day. And they have lower rates of cardiovascular disease. All of these things that we're saying are causing issues. Like it's not that. It might be the McDonald's and sedentary lifestyle and other things that we're doing where sodium can be a factor, but it, we can't put our point our fingers at sodium alone and say, you should be excluding this from your diet. But my soapbox. <laughs> we're on a sodium tangent. I'm curious too, you mentioned some of the herbs that are very mineral kind of dense, if you will. Can you maybe just like share a little bit more on that? You said nettle and hibiscus. How are you? Are these teas that you're drinking? Yep, they are teas. So different herbs have different benefits. There are some that are naturally higher in minerals. So nettle is one of them. I love nettle, particularly during the menstrual phase, because it does have a lot of those essential nutrients. It does have a little bit of iron in there naturally. So it's wonderful when you are bleeding. So I love nettle. I love hibiscus, especially for the skin. It has a lot of those rich antioxidants and vitamin C. Oat straw is another wonderful one. It's very calming and soothing to the nervous system. So if you're someone who's really just, you know, burnt out, you're doing so much, oat straws are really gentle and soothing tea to bring in. And dandelion root is another wonderful one too. It does support the liver and the kidneys. So, so many benefits to herbs. I love them. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear because I feel like, you know, we hear remineralizing with, like you're saying, like the mag drops or like element or whatever it is. But I don't think anyone's really thinking of these benefits in teas. I also, while we're talking about herbs, I feel like the herbs that come up the most when we're talking about hormones, Vitex and Dim, Chasteberry, what other ones are there? But like, can we dive into that a little bit? What are the benefits of those? Who should be taking them? Are these long-term things? Like how do these herbs fit into the hormone health sphere? So when we're thinking of some of the herbs that have a more targeted impact on our hormones, like let's say the Vitex or adaptogenic herbs like ashwagandha, holy basil, those types of herbs, all of those are better in the shorter term. And when I say short term, around three to six months is really ideal. After that, your body kind of becomes sensitized to it. So it doesn't work the way that it used to anymore. It's not having the same impact. So keeping it at a shorter term is beneficial. Chastri, Vitex are the same thing, and they both work to help increase progesterone levels. They help increase your LH, which therefore can help with ovulation and increase progesterone. So it's really great for someone that has low progesterone levels and is struggling with potentially fertility 
or having like a decent length cycle. Like if you're on the shorter end of like 21 days and you're struggling with having a shorter luteal window, it's helpful in that case, but it's not helpful for every person in particular with PCOS, which I think is a little bit of the issue there because with PCOS, we do think of low progesterone, but if we don't know that the action by which it works in is increasing our LH, then it can make PCOS worse because with PCOS, women typically have higher LH levels. Not everyone, but it is a typical finding. So you want to be really mindful of that. You want to know what your hormone levels are if you're going to be working with herbs like that. DIM is another one that works really well at lowering estrogen levels. And you can have symptoms of high estrogen without actually having high estrogen. So you could have normal levels of estrogen below progesterone, and that imbalance is causing those high estrogen symptoms. Or you could have normal amounts of estrogen, but you're not clearing it efficiently through your liver or gut. So then if you take something like DIM that's further lowering your estrogen, then you're going to have even worse symptoms. You could find yourself getting um, vaginal dryness, acne, mood changes, but you're still also kind of struggling with high estrogen symptoms. So just be really careful with that one. And I know that one's in a lot of really popular hormone balancing supplements. And that one in particular makes me really <laughs> upset. So just be careful if you see them. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, as a consumer, like I'm on the other side, you know, kind of probably with our listeners of like, oh, they said it's going to help me with this. I should just try it. And it's available. It's not like it has to be. It's not a prescription drug. It doesn't have to be prescribed. But it is interesting to hear that there is that other side where it can be doing more harm than good. And it should be taken under guidance is what I'm hearing. I've also heard too that some of these things can interact poorly with birth control. Is that right? And what is that relationship with some of these herbs? Yeah. So any herbs that are meant to balance hormones are definitely going to interact with birth control. So with birth control, when you're taking it, it's very much keeping a stable amount of hormones in your system to prevent ovulation. So then if you're taking something like, let's say, DIM, it could be interfering with how much hormones are in your system. That could leave you potentially vulnerable to getting pregnant when you're not intending to, or it could lose the efficacy of the birth control. So symptoms that you're trying to hold back on might pop up again. Um, same with chastity, it's working to increase your LH, but birth control is trying to keep ovulation non-existent. So all these things you want to be careful of. You don't want to be taking any herbs or supplements that are intended for balancing hormones while you're on birth control because birth control is trying to keep things very steady in your system. Yeah, which can be a scary place to fall too because you're like, well, I still have PMS. I want to try this supplement. And you don't know this about the herbs. And then you're like creating ineffective birth control. Like, yeah, it's just it's such an interesting space where there's no regulation, but there is potential. I mean, supplements in general, just no regulation. But it is a very interesting kind of topic. I think the herbal side of things, there's so many benefits, but it seems like it needs some direction. We can't just be like haphazardly taking these things. I feel like people don't, they underestimate the power of plants and herbs. They think it's like, oh, this natural, maybe like gentler approach, but these things are powerful. Like plant medicine has existed for a really long time for a reason. Pharmaceuticals are new. Like we don't have as much information or research on pharmaceuticals because they're only in the last couple hundred years versus plant medicine has been around for thousands, right? Like people total, I've in my practice, people totally underestimate the power. It's like, 
they don't even think twice about taking an antibiotic that is recommended when that's doing typically more harm than good. You might be taking it for a virus when that's not going to even touch whatever virus that you have. I see this all the time. So frustrating. But when we talk about more natural approaches, they're like, oh, like that. Are you sure? Like, is that going to work? I think a good thing to keep in mind too is a lot of pharmaceuticals, their mechanism of action is derived from what we know about plants medicine. So there's a lot of crossover there where we've developed more of the faster acting medications based off of compounds that we found in herbal medicine. So herbal medicine may take a little bit longer to work, but it's still working. Some of these herbs are working in that same mechanism of action. So they are powerful. You just have to know what's right for you, what to dose, how long to take it, and they work. Definitely work with a provider. Yeah. (laughs) It's not something to just willy-nilly, like Monica was saying, is like, oh, this sounds like it might benefit me. I'll dip my toe in. Like, you should be testing before. You should know your hormone levels before. You should know somebody that can help you to understand your body and those levels before you just dive in because you can end up like really messing up your system. Is that true across the board for herbs or like, do you think it's just more focused around when people are dealing with hormonal issues? I would say it's variable. Some herbs are more gentle and it's fine to incorporate. What I think of right off the bat is some of the herbs that are meant for the gut. For example, I've seen people take oregano oil for years and they're like, my gut is so messed up. And then we do a stool testing and there's like next to no bacteria in their gut because they've been taking oregano oil every single day. And it's like, that is, that's potent. You are basically taking an antibiotic every single day. So some herbs you want to be super, super careful with. I would say most herbs, there are contraindications. You want to be mindful of how long it's appropriate to take, what exactly it's for. Some of the other ones, like I've mentioned, like the hibiscus, the oat straw, those are more of our gentle working herbs. They're a little safer to take without like necessarily having to do the heavy hitting lab testing. But if you're taking an herb with the intention of I'm treating this condition or that condition, nine times out of 10, you need to be working with someone because that's working on a much higher level than drinking a ginger turmeric tea. What do you think about like spearmint tea for, I know obviously this is something widely recommended for individuals with PCOS and the mechanism is that it's helping to lower circulating testosterone. But is that something where like there is a dose where you can just enjoy spearmint tea and it's not going to lower those levels versus the kind of more pharmaceutical or therapeutic amount? Yeah, definitely. Like a cup a day is fine. The steady dose is I think two to three cups a day, you would start to get the benefits. And that's a really good example of we even have herbs within the same category that can work stronger or on a more gentle scope. So spearmint can do that, but also saw palmetto can work in the same way too, but that's a more heavy hitting herb. So you wouldn't just take that without knowing your hormone levels, but a spearmint you could drink like a cup of, but if you go up to those higher levels, it can work on supporting your androgens. Yeah, I don't want people to leave this episode being like, oh, no, I need to like talk to an herbalist before I drink herbal tea. Like, right. Yeah. You know, like you can have your chamomile and have your like drink the herbal teas. But I think, yeah, there are, of course, you go to your Whole Foods and there's like a bunch of herbs on the shelf. And we're like, well, this says it helps with this. And people just pick it up and start taking it without any guidance. And what I'm hearing is like, that's where you can get into trouble is like going down the internet research rabbit hole and (laughs) self-prescribing, maybe. Yeah. And you brought up a good point. I would say teas are 
safe to drink. Those herbal teas, they're at a much lower dose. Once you do go into those aisles and you're picking up those tinctures, which are concentrated forms of the herbs, that's where I would say you should get some guidance. But like teas are okay. I don't want anyone to fear like herbal teas either. Yeah, they're so delicious. As a naturopath, you have herbal training. So I guess I'm just curious, like, are you technically an herbalist too? Or are those different? I guess you could say, I mean, I I don't, to be quite honest, I'm not entirely sure of that, like how the education process for herbalists goes, like what that process looks like. But all four years that I was in school, we had certain hours each semester where we were working with just herbal medicine. So we were in botanical labs, formulating, we were learning about it outside of the labs. So, you know, four years of education. If you want to call me an herbalist, you can. I I don't think I'm technically an herbalist, but I got the education. Yeah, I think that's just interesting because, you know, you see some people are like straight up herbalists and but it sounds like you definitely have the working knowledge and have the the background to be talking to people about herbs. (laughs) Okay, amazing. Well, I feel like the herbal part of this episode is just like so interesting to me. And I think our community is going to find it really, really interesting. So watch out in your DMs. You might be getting some herb questions coming your way. (laughs) But I'm curious and want you to, before we go into our lightning round, which is my favorite part when we have guests, how can people work with you? And I know you said you're licensed in California. Do you do any support outside of California or what does that look like? So I am licensed in California, so I can do all the labs, all the things in California. I can see you as a patient. If you're outside of California, I can do some health coaching, but labs are minimal. I can't do the same scope of practice that I do in California. So I do that on a case-by-case basis, depending on what someone's concern is. If I feel like higher interventions are needed, I'll guide you towards someone local to your area. But if you do want to work with me, I do offer one-on-one care. So you can find that information on my website. I also do have a cycle syncing hormone course, which takes you through nutrition, information on hormones. It takes you through a little bit more of that herbal backgrounds and all sorts of good stuff. So two different ways to work together. And what is the name of your course? Period Harmony. Amazing. Nora's group is harmonized. You guys are in (laughs) harmony. That's amazing. And we will definitely be linking your information. You share so much good knowledge on your Instagram. So that will be linked below as well as your website. So if anyone's curious, definitely check out Priya. And let's go into the lightning round. Nora, let kick us off. Yes, our listeners and us would love to know what's your favorite form of self-care. I love when I have a tidy home and I just settle in on the couch, light a candle and just put on a show I like. I just like feeling like homes and nice, like clean places. I have a lot of anxiety. So when my area is decluttered, that's my form of self-care, just unwinding without any clutter near me. I love that. Okay. Favorite meal to cook? I absolutely love breakfast foods. So I have to say the mornings that I get to make like a big breakfast, like a nice scramble and I make my potatoes and I make my coffee. That's probably my favorite. I'm a big morning person. That's super interesting. I hate eating in the morning. It's like force feeding myself. I mean, I love food all the time, but for some reason, the morning is very challenging for me. Oh, we should talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) But how about do you prefer your morning routine or your nighttime routine? Definitely morning. I love the morning time. Nighttime is just meh for me. It's okay. I love the morning. (laughs) Super interesting. Yeah. I mean, we could have guessed that one with the breakfast answer. 
Okay. And then this is one of my favorites, but is there a book or maybe it's a podcast, some form of education or something that's had the biggest impact on you? I would definitely say The Alchemist. I think I read it at just a really pivotal point in my life where I felt very lost and it just really made me want to trust my own intuition and inner wisdom. So I would say that book probably has made the biggest impact on me. So interesting. That book's been on my Kindle for over a year and I haven't started it. So now I'm intrigued. I haven't read it either. I love it. It's just a really, it is more spiritual. So there's some elements of spirituality and religion in there, but I did find the book really inspiring in terms of trust the path that you're on and know that if you follow your intuition, you'll be guided to the right place. I love it. Thank you so much today. We learned so much from everything from like, what the heck is a naturopath to herbs and everything in between. So thanks for joining us. We're so excited to share this with our community. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye.